Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Everyone, welcome. It's so good to see everybody uh, for worship on this Easter Sunday. Thanks so much uh, for celebrating with us, whether you're here in person or watching at home online. Uh, It is wonderful to be together to celebrate the resurrection together. Um, If you're new with us, we would love the chance uh, to follow up with you after this. Um, You can uh, sign up for our emails. I believe those addresses were there at the beginning of the screen uh, of the service, and they're also uh, at the back of your bulletin. But we'd love to be able to let you know more about our church and help you get connected here uh, over time. Well, uh, we are uh, this morning going to look at a section of God's Word. This is a letter from the Apostle Peter uh, to a small and suffering church in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's word? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. You can be seated. C.S. Lewis, uh, who many of you know, is the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and a great uh, Christian scholar and writer of the last century. Uh, what many of us don't know is that Lewis lived most of his life as a single man. He was an almost lifelong bachelor. And then uh, he, a uh, well-educated Oxford professor, uh, late in life married an American woman uh, named Joy Davidson. And uh, sadly, they were married for only a, a short period of time. Uh, married late in life and then shortly into their marriage, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and, uh, and died fairly young. Lewis uh, wrote an epitaph or some final words uh, for her that are uh, written on a plaque over where her ashes are interred in Oxford. And here is uh, what Lewis wrote at her death. Here the whole world, stars, water, air, and field and forest as they were, reflect in a single mind like cast-off clothes was left behind, in ashes yet with hopes that she, reborn from holy poverty, in Lenten lands hereafter may, 
resumed them on her Easter day. These words resonated with me uh, this week. Lewis refers to her casting off of this life as leaving her body in Lenten lands. Lent uh, being that season of the Christian year before Easter where we remember sin and suffering and sorrow, where we lament. And he said, you know what? This world that she lived and died in is more like Lent than it is like Easter. And yet he was filled with hope that she might take the same body up again, as he said, on her Easter day. And friends, that is the Christian hope of Easter, right? Is that Jesus's Easter will become our Easter, that his resurrection will mean our resurrection. So it's not just a celebration of one resurrection 2,000 years ago, but it's the belief that by faith, that one resurrection will be, as Paul put it, the first fruits of our resurrection, right? In fact, of the entire world's resurrection, that his Easter day will become our Easter day. This is, I think, close to what Peter intends when he writes to this group of suffering Christians and says to them, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Right Through Jesus' resurrection, we are born again into a living hope. We have a living hope. You know, I think of all of the people uh, who needed the hope of resurrection, of all the people for whom uh, the resurrection was good news, it may have been the best news of all for Peter. Right, Peter, if you're familiar at all with the stories of the Gospels, Peter was one of Jesus' first followers. He was one of those 12 disciples. Uh, beyond that, he was kind of a part of Jesus' inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John were the ones who were kind of constantly with Jesus. Peter, uh, maybe some of us can identify with, as he was someone who uh, spoke first and asked questions later. He uh, was kind of full of bravado and self-confidence. He was the one, uh, remember, who famously, when Jesus, as he heads to the cross, says, all of you are going to abandon me. Peter says, nope, not me, not ever. Right? Even if everybody else gives in, even if everybody else turn tails and run, I never will. And Jesus rightly predicts, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And so if, if the story ends, if the story of the gospel ends with the death of Jesus, Peter's life is a mess. Peter dies a failure. He dies a coward. He, he dies somebody who is uh, full of braggadocious bravado, but who in the moment of testing fell shamefully short. Jean-Paul Sartre was a French philosopher he wrote a play called No Exit, and, uh, and in this play, No Exit, it tells the story of three people. This is a, an allegorical uh, vision of what hell would be like. But in Sartre's vision, uh, in this play, No Exit, it's three people put into a room in which there is, well, no exit. Uh, they're left, just the three of them, unable to ever sleep and without eyelids, so they don't even, they don't even get enough of a break from each other to blink. In this play uh, is the famous, probably the most famous line from the play is hell is other people, right? Hell is being exposed as you really are to the gaze of other people. Well, each one of these three heads into the room, uh, which will be their afterlife. 
making excuses and presenting the best possible version of themselves. It's a man and two women. And the man uh, pretends to be a hero. He claims to be a moral man and a pacifist. But as his story comes out, it turns out that he was shot as a deserter of the French army who abandoned them as the Nazis uh, marched into France. And so this eternity for him is one of being exposed in front of these two women who have their own equally sordid stories as a fraud and a failure. The play ends with these sobering words. You are your life and nothing else. You are your life and nothing else. Right? All that there is of you is what you have done and what you have made out of this life. Right? And if there is no resurrection, then that's true. Right? If there is no resurrection, then Peter is who he is when Jesus dies. He is a coward. He's a failed friend, a breaker of promises. How bleak is it to consider that who you are, your life is all that you are? Forget what you hoped to be, forget what you aspired to be, forget... Uh, forget your loves, your aspirations, your desires. All you are is your resume of what you've done. You're only your sins or your successes, the money you earned or failed to earn and lost, your relationships or your betrayals, your faithfulness or your doubt. All that you are is what you've done with your life. And yet Peter because of the resurrection, comes to a place where he can take uh, these words and apply them to this suffering group of Christians wrestling with their own doubts and struggles. You are born again to a living hope, right? You are not reduced to just your life. You are not reduced to just your resume, but that you've been born again to what he calls a living hope. And this is... Uh, the offer of Christianity at its core is an invitation to a living hope, right? Living because it's a relationship with a living person, right? Christianity, unique among the world religions, is not so much about obeying what Jesus has taught, although that's important, right? It's not just about learning what he taught and his wisdom and trying to live it out. It's not even about studying the life that he led, it's not just a person in the past, but it's a relationship with a living person, right? Because of Easter, we believe that Jesus is still alive, that after his resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and from there, he wants to know us and to be known by us. He wants us to be in a living relationship with one who has become for us a living hope, a living hope. You know, there's a story... Uh, that came out around the Super Bowl that was kind of funny. If you remember the Super Bowl this past year, uh, it was in Tampa and uh, it was played between the Tampa Bay Bucks, got to play in their home stadium against the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you looked on the broadcast, at first glance, it looked like a sold-out stadium. But if you watched it over time, something didn't look quite right. And what it was was it was a mix between live fans and cardboard cutouts of fans, right? So you could either pay an arm and a leg to go see the Super Bowl live or pay, you know, honestly, still too much money uh, to put a cardboard cutout of yourself so Cutout Dave could watch the Super Bowl. People are, you're free to spend your money as you wish. I'm not, we're not here to judge. 
But there were people who, who had their cardboard cutouts of themselves were watching the Super Bowl game. And there was one man who uh, was a Bucks fan, the owner of a local brewery in Tampa, was seated next to a cardboard cutout of a Chiefs fan. And as uh, the game went on, and perhaps as this Bucks fan got a little heady with the Bucks uh, mounting victory and maybe had a beer or two through the game, uh, he began to strike up a relationship with this cardboard cutout that was seated next to him, and he called the cardboard cutout Frank. Um, and he began to post social media pictures of him and Frank. Uh, he, would, he would taunt Frank when the Bucks scored. Um, and then what he sought to do was to try to figure out if he could find out who Frank really was. So through social media, he posted these pictures. He asked, does anybody know somebody who might know somebody in Kansas City that looks like this? And through the miracle or terror of modern technology, he eventually found Frank, who it turns out, unfortunately, was not named Frank. His name's Clayton Whipple. He lives in Iowa City. And they've actually now become friends. Uh, they, they get together. They talk on Zoom. They've, they've struck up a friendship, this Bucks fan and this Chiefs fan. Well, bring all this up. For many of us, especially living in a place like Jacksonville, Right, living uh, in a southern city like this one. Uh, for many of us, Jesus is a two-dimensional part of the scenery of our lives. Right? It's rare that anybody that you meet in Jacksonville, you go, hey, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. Right? Very few people go, I haven't heard of him. Who's that? Right? Very few even show up, even if you don't come to church very often and you were brought here. But most of us know the basic script of Easter and what we're, what we're talking about today. But the reality is that culturally, Jesus can just be a part of the scenery. Right? He can be a part of the backdrop of our lives, part of this kind of two-dimensional thing that we examine, we, we know he's there, but he's not a living being that we're in a living relationship with. And the offer of Easter is that Jesus is a living person who wants to be known. He wants to be in a real relationship with you, not just in the backdrop of your life, not just there filling a seat, uh, but that he wants to be known and he wants to know you. He wants to be your living hope in a living relationship with a real person. And in that relationship, he offers you more than you could ever dream. Look at the way Peter puts it in verses 4 and 5. On the heels of talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he says, he brings you to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What the living Jesus offers to each one of us is security. Right? Think about, listen to what Peter says. He says, he offers you an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, that it's kept there for you in a way that can't be defiled or spoiled or lost ever. Right? So it's a, it's a certain inheritance that's being kept by God for you. And he's guarding over you and keeping you to get you to what he's promised, a living and eternal life with him. So he's guarding your inheritance and he's watching over and guarding you. Can you imagine what it would be like and what it is like to live without fear of the future? Right? I mean, this year, this, you know, 2020, 2021, if it's taught us anything, is that none of us know much about what the future holds. Right? None of us would have predicted that this year was going to bring what this year brought. Everybody, you know, we're all, 
man, 2022. Remember, we were looking forward to 2021. Then a bunch of stuff happened. And now it's like, well, man, maybe next year. But none of us are owed anything. None of us can, are guaranteed anything. That's right, that's right. But what Jesus offers is to know that your future is kept, hidden, protected, and guarded by the living God. And that you are watched over by the good shepherd who guards you even through the valley of the shadow of death so that you can know that you know in your bones that your life is secured, your hope is secured. And that even death poses no threat. You are kept for him and he, your inheritance, is kept for you through all of life's ups and downs, through the good years and through the hard years, through the trials and through the successes. The way Peter puts it in verse 3, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter's writing to a church that, that is in, in many ways experiencing kind of an existential threat to their lives, where they were beginning to experience persecution. And Peter says, you have to suffer for a little while while you wait for this inheritance to be yours. Guys, one of two things is true about your life. One of these two things. Either in the end, all of life's joys, all of the laughter, all of the loves, all of the glory that you experience in this life will ultimately only be for a little while and then death wins in the end. Right? If you're a materialist, if you believe that this world is all that there is and there is no resurrection, that's basically what you're, what you're left with. Right? Enjoy this life all that you can. Right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Laugh. Do all you can because in the end, death wins. Right? In the end, we all end up in the same graveyard. And so the joys of this life are just for a little while, but then the real story is death, deterioration. Or, or what Peter knows. There's another way to live in which the sorrows of this life the losses and the pain and the grief, in retrospect, will be only for a little while. But then in the end, though we die, death is swallowed up in life. Life and hope win. Because it's true, we all do. Life tends towards the grave. right? Death uh, awaits all of us. But in the end, it'll either be the end and the thing that means that the joys were only ever passing, or it will be one more piece of the momentary suffering of this world before death itself is swallowed up in victory, before we live the life that is marked fully and utterly by life and love and joy. Athanasius uh, was one of the first Christian theologians, third and fourth century. Here's the, what Athanasius wrote. Death has become like a tyrant who has been completely conquered by the legitimate king, bound hand and foot so that passerbys sneer at him and mock him, hit him and abuse him, no longer afraid of his cruelty and rage because of the king who has conquered him. So has death been conquered and branded for what it is by the Savior on the cross. It has been bound hand and foot and all who are in Christ trample over it as they pass. In his witnesses to him, the king, they deride it, scoffing and saying, 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? In Christ, you can become one of those who trample over death, who laugh at the face of death while you walk by. Some of you will remember, uh, have met my friend Mike Kanjan. He was uh, a pastor in the Baltimore area. He came down and joined us for our fifth anniversary. Remember Mike? Um, Mike had an interesting thing happen to him the other day. He was uh, doing a funeral for an older woman in his church. It was uh, a woman who was a member of his church, and her kids and grandkids were also members of the church. And so he was there doing the funeral for her. And uh, as, as happens these days, right, if you've had the unfortune of having to plan a funeral through COVID, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. And so they did a small uh, service for the family, and then they live-streamed the service for those that were spread out and that wanted to join it so you could participate on live stream as we've all gotten used to doing. Well, somebody hacked in. I don't know who doesn't have something better to do than this, but somebody hacked into the live stream and applied a Blues Brothers filter to everyone who spoke at the podium. So if you went up to the podium, uh, all of a sudden sunglasses and a hat would appear on you. So Mike conducted this sober funeral, I'm sure delivered a great sermon, and everybody who was watching saw him with sunglasses and a little hat uh, on. The funeral director was mortified, figuring that something about their web security must have lapsed and was dreading going to tell this family that, hey, here's what everybody saw that was out there. And the funeral director thought, well, man, I'm going to lose money. I might lose my job in this. Who knows? And this family cracked up laughing. They were able to receive that, you know, they weren't offended. Uh, I'm sure they, you know, they, they thought their grandmother would have laughed at this. But deeper than that, what they said was, we are Christians. We can laugh in the face of death. Death doesn't have to be for us simply an invitation to grief and sorrow. In fact, there's something fittingly Christian about mocking death just a little bit, even if it's through a Blues Brothers filter. (laughs) Or here's a more uh, sobering example of what it means to be a Christian who can laugh and trample on death itself. It's a story of a woman named Karen Richardson and her daughter, Kaylee. Karen's story was picked up uh, by, a, a, it's, a tw- it's a Twitter and Instagram feed called Humans of New York. Uh, you may have seen it. They, they tell the stories, it's kind of human, uh, human interest stories, telling the stories of everyday New Yorkers and uh, with pictures and that kind of thing. Well, Karen's story uh, kind of became viral and then was picked up by the Today Show. Karen died of stomach cancer uh, several years ago. And her daughter, Kaylee, was featured in this story. And here's here's what Kaylee wrote. They opened mom up and found nothing but cancer. But even then, she didn't give up. She promised that she wasn't done fighting, but, but it became a different kind of fight. It wasn't easy. She was hooked up to a feeding tube, but she walked so beautifully towards death. She kept a photo album next to, her, next to her bed, but instead of photos, she kept note cards with Bible verses. She said that her entire life, she had thought that she loved Jesus, but now that she knew, she really loved Jesus. I never once saw her give in to despair. There were sad moments, but even those were peaceful. And sometimes she'd laugh so hard that it would physically hurt. Every day, she told me I was beautiful. She'd said it before, but not like this. It was so intentional. And then there were the videos. 
She recorded videos for the big moments in our lives. Graduation, our 21st birthday, our wedding, our first child. Over the years, the videos became so precious to me. They're not very long, just a few minutes each. She opens each one with a greeting. She'll congratulate me on the stage of life that I just hit and say how sad she is not to be there. Then she'll give me some advice. It's very personalized. She'll say, I know you struggle with X, Y, and Z, so always remember this. Ever since I got married two years ago, I've known that there was one video left. And it's always given me comfort knowing that it was there. So it was bittersweet when my daughter was born on June 27th. My husband and I watched the final video together, and it was harder than I expected. She was sicker than in the other videos. She spoke really slowly. She talked about how I'd always loved babies, even as a child. And she said that she, she wished she could be there to cuddle my baby. She talked about my childhood, where I struggled and where I excelled. And she ended by saying, love and encourage your babies. They will grow up quickly. So hug them and pray for them. And that was it. She told me that she loved me and she said goodbye. For years, I'd been dreading that moment. But it felt strangely peaceful. Like I was ready. Ready to take up this role. It's my turn to have a daughter now. To love her and to be purposeful with her, just like my mom was purposeful with me. This is a story that's now been read, I think, millions of times through social media. And it's the testimony of a Christian woman who is able to face death with purpose and hope. Right? Someone who, even in the face of death, was able to trample on it instead of being trampled by it. Someone who was able to love even in the midst of her suffering. And now millions have read it and give glory to, to her faith, the way that Jesus held on to her, even in the midst of suffering. This is what it looks like when Christians from Athanasius all the way up to Karen Richardson are able to laugh and to trample in the face of death. And friends, that is what Jesus offers to you. If you're here and you're you're considering Christianity and seeking after truth and, and giving it a serious thought, maybe for the first time, I urge you to stop your search and to look no further. Right? Jesus, the living one, offers you a living hope. A living hope where you can know that your future is secured. That the sufferings of this life are momentary and that your glory in Christ can be eternal. All that, requi all that he requires is to lay down our sin and our unbelief and our independence, yes. to turn to Him for forgiveness and to find in Him your living hope. And Christians, I encourage you this morning. This is what's yours in Christ. You don't have to live in fear of death. You don't have to live in bondage to sin and suffering. He has secured your future and He watches over your life in such a way that as Paul says, there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from his love, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nothing on earth or in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's yours. You are his. And he is yours. And your inheritance is kept for you. So that you, like Peter's first audience, can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your death on our behalf.
And what's more, we thank you for your resurrection, triumphing over death and sin so that we too could taste victory. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that in the suffering of this life, we grow tired, it becomes hard to believe. And yet, Lord, uh, even the sufferings of this life are just for a little while compared to the glory of our inheritance in you. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask uh, that you would help us to believe, that you would help our unbelief. Lord, we turn to you today, whether it's the first time or the, or the thousandth time, acknowledging that we need the hope that only you can offer, that left to ourselves, our lives end only in emptiness. And Lord, that you are our living hope, our Savior who offers us a life that's kept secure. And so, Lord Jesus, give us faith. Help us to trust in you. Keep us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, watch over us and guard us until what we now believe by faith will be ours by sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.